Broadcasting from the News Radio 102.9 KARN Radio Center and Studio 1B, it is Guatney Unplugged with Scott Romine. Hey, welcome to the show. Scott Romine here. We're talking with a pretty famous Arkansan. Way back in 1949, 16-year-old Gerald Williams' music career was launched and he became part of a quartet and he's been doing it ever since. How are you, Mr. Williams? Well, fine. Uh, Scott, how are you doing? I am good. Now, you're with the Melody Boys all these years, but uh, what was it like? Did you grow up right here in Little Rock? Actually, my birthplace was White County, up out from Searcy, and uh, lived there until I was the ripe old age of 16. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you made your way down to Little Rock, I guess, at some point. That's true. I moved into the position with the Melody Boys Quartet at that time uh, due to the uh, the death of the gentleman who was the bass singer and the actual manager owner of the group at that time. And that and, was uh, Herschel Forshee, is that right? Well, Herschel Forshee, yes. Uh-huh. And he, what, did you kind of look up him? Was he kind of a trainer, I guess, was singing for you? <laughs> He was, uh, he had a lot to do with the singing schools that they taught back those years. They still have them in parts of the country, but not like back then. It was a common thing in about every state. There would be a singing school three weeks in length and had a lot to do with the Stamps Baxter publishing music type stuff and the quartet world. And uh, that's that's how I came in contact with Mr. Foshi. When I was 14, I had been sent to the school by my parents, and uh, my voice had changed so early, I was already singing bass. And there was a song that came up in the convention that afternoon as it was a preparatory thing for the school to begin on Monday. And he walked by me just as I sang the lead on that particular song. And he just stopped and looked at me, and he said, uh, is your name Gerald Williams? And I just said, yes, sir. <laughs> he didn't say anything else. He just walked on. So that was the beginning, uh, the first contact with him. And uh, that year later, about August, he organized the Junior Quartet, which I was the bass for. And so I sang with that group. All of us just kids, uh, 14, 15, 16 was the age group. And uh, then in uh, November of 49, when he passed away, I already knew the songs. I'd been filling in for him some during his illness. Sure. Anyway, that's how I came to be in that position to take the, the job. I knew all their music, and and then education kind of got put on hold for a while, and then I was able to get back to that and got more. I didn't finish college like I really thought I would, but uh, as it were, it took me through a lifetime of music <laughs> well you still got time to finish the college thing just we'll just get you signed up <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll, we'll give it a try if you're willing to waste your money <laughs> <laughs> did, did you grow up singing in church like so many famous singers did actually yes i was uh, uh my dad and mother and i was an only child dad and mother both had the music in the church where i was raised a little community church out called Honey Hill Christian Union, about three miles west of Searcy, Arkansas, uh, right near the farm where I was raised. And uh, so I was involved with music 
from as far back as I can even remember. And uh, so uh, church music, yes, in the beginning, and then the quartet thing, and, and uh, that just stuck in my head. I loved it so much. I looked for the opportunity, and when it came, I was ready for it. You know, what I think is interesting, kind of reading on your background and whatever, is you didn't record a record until like 1950. That's right. And and that occurred that, in Little Rock, correct? Right. The, uh, the recording, the master recording was done at the studios of KARK Radio when they were still located down on uh, Fifth Street. And, uh, and KRK is now the Channel 4, is now a TV station. Right, yeah. right. Now, what I think is really cool about that, though, and I know that Tom Petty recorded this way up until we lost Tom Petty, is you would record it live. It was not tracks where everyone gets a chance to do their part perfectly, correct? Correct. You did it right, or you had to do it all over because <laughs> there was no, <laughs> no pitch correction at all. Back those days, I guess you're recording to what a, a like a, a reel to reel player. It was, uh, in fact, uh, the Melody Boys Quartet uh, purchased a recording machine. It was called a Magnacorder, and it was one of the first sold in the state of Arkansas. I think we got one before the radio stations got them. Really? And uh, yeah, and so. Early on, we were not allowed to record anything because they were all sponsored. And those people who were our sponsors, they felt like if people ever found out that we were just recorded, not there, that they would buy our product. But as time went on and people's mindset changed, and we were able to record. And so then that was the reason for purchase of the machine. So we could record up to as many as 10 days of the radio programs and then be gone on concert tour. Wow. Wow. How things have changed. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Do you remember Mr. Williams holding like the first pressed record and, and knowing your voices on it and what would that have been like? Uh, well, for one thing, it never sounded like I thought I sounded (laughs) really it just didn't come across like I was hearing myself. And uh, that was pretty much my first memory of hearing anything. As far as the, the first uh, thing we recorded, of course, it was a 78 RPM on uh, the old black records. That's the bigger uh, ones, right? I think the 33s are the small ones. Is that, I well, think actually, so. Or maybe I'm backwards. Actually, <laughs> well, actually, the 33s were the LP where you had several songs. Okay. On each side. What we did, the 78s were uh, just about a, about a 10-inch record. And there'd be one song on each side. And, uh, of course, the, the grooves were still so wide for the needle to track in. Back those days, you could almost pick them out. You know? Wow. You could see the grooving on the, on the record. And uh, the only place we knew of that could do reproduction of this was a company in California, uh, and they did uh, all of our pressings of the first, I guess, four or five of those 78s that we did. So that's 
Don Smith was a gentleman. He owned the company out there. Did you go on to see your stuff like on eight track and then I guess eventually CD, right? Yes. Yes. And, uh, cassette came in there real strong too. that's true yeah cassette was big that was kind of my era was the cassettes yeah right uh so it, i've watched a lot of change and it's very very interesting to look back on and then to see things now turning around and we're finding that we have more of the old vinyl records coming back oh big time reason. yeah yeah it's it's a big thing going now and uh i don't know with all of the uh equipment now with such quiet response in it, no scratching, no popping and so on. Uh, you get clarity even with the, the vinyl now. Yeah, and, that's uh, true. Yeah. My son is 18 and he's got a whole stack of records and he collects them. You know, okay. it, it, it is back big time. Yeah. Well, it's, I have quite a stack of stuff here myself that most are on 33 uh, a third, you know, RPM stuff. Uh, I do have a few of the 45s, but most everything I have is on CD uh, because of the retirement uh, time of the Melody Boys. I actually retired the group in uh, December, December 31st of 2012. And uh, so up until then, after we got <laughs> past the eight tracks and the cassettes, and 45s, and there we were with the uh, CDs, and uh, that I worked gotcha. out. Hey, Scott here. We're talking with Gerald Williams, of course, of the Melody Boys. Started here in Little Rock, and they have been all over the place, and they're in the Southern Gospel Music Hall of Fame. I know Gerald is. How was that getting inducted into that? How did that feel, boy, from Little Rock? Well, that was something that I had never really expected to happen. Uh, I never gave it a lot of thought because that's the kind of thing that uh, the people elect you to. And, you know, you, there isn't much you can do except get out there and give it your best. And uh, so that's what I had done. But I still didn't really think about ever being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And, of course, whenever I first heard the nomination thing, I thought, oh, well, somebody else is going to get that one. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't see that coming. But uh, to my surprise and uh, great appreciation, it did happen and, uh, in 2006. So uh, that's something that's, you know, it just gives you a, a great feeling. You, I, I always said, well, I didn't sing just for that reason, but I'm grateful for it. In fact, oh, I sure. have it. You know, very grateful. Do you actually still have some of those very first records and things? I do. I have a set of the uh, 78 RPM uh, songs. I believe there's, I I think there's five of them. I have to look at it once in a while, but I believe that I still have five of them. Wow. Which is 10 songs, one song on each side. So... uh, (laughs) Still, still got the stuff. You know, they're probably worth something. I mean, you've got some real memorabilia there. Uh, something I want to ask you about. I, I love old cars and, and classic cars and all that stuff. And I always, I drive my old stuff. I'm like, man, how did anybody get around in something like that? And and here you are touring in the 50s. What was What was that like? Did you even have air conditioning in these cars as you're going from all town to town and doing these shows? We did not. Really? Uh, 
and in fact, the car that we were driving when I started was a 1948 DeSoto. And uh, even the heating system on them was not that good. It had uh. a little box heater up under the dash in the front. And if you sat in the front, and especially in the middle, you got warm during the winter. If you sat in the back, you freeze. <laughs> but, I would think you practically got to be a mechanic to keep the thing on the road, you know, in those days. Well, there were some times, uh, a few years later especially, that uh, we went from the 48 DeSoto to a 50 model Buick and then to a 53, then a 55. And so that's just kind of the way it went. We'd wear one out about every two years. We'd get another car. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and by the time we got the 53 model, I was beginning to do some, get us off of the side of the road. <laughs> so uh, my granddad used to get involved with all that. Let's see if you can confirm this. My granddad used to talk about in those days, getting a flat was way more common than it is now. I guess the tires or something, was that something that was a problem? That's true. I recall one set of tires we bought. In fact, this was on the 53 model. And uh, all four of the tires eventually separated they all had, all had white sidewall things. Like oh, that. gosh. <laughs> so, where the white sidewall was vulcanized to the side of the black wall, those things separated. And uh, I think all four of that set of tires, one at a time, oh, just my gosh. disintegrated. So, yes, there's <laughs> a lot more flat tires than you see nowadays. I bet. You know, just <laughs> looking through things you have done and the people you've been on the stage with is incredible i mean i gotta ask you about some of these folks roy clark in- incredible yes. guitarist what what was he yeah. like roy was a he was just a true uh, joy to be around he really was what you saw on tv was pretty much what he was and uh he used to tease me we'd be in a big auditorium somewhere with a citywide thing and country show which by the way i did do some a few years there with in the career singing with the uh, plainsman quartet which is another story but uh, we sang some mixture of music a bit of country but always basically the gospel music but anyway roy he just loved to get around the corner where i couldn't see him where and imitate me and try to sing a bass note he was a good guy. I'm, really I'm shocked you didn't end up on Hee Haw. Well, uh, it was the real acquaintance with Roy came along pretty much after Hee Haw had peaked. Okay. It was back in just, you know, uh, sending it out to whoever wanted to run it. I and, I uh, think, Mr. Williams, I've seen pictures of you with J.D. Did you run across Elvis or what were those guys like? Uh Elvis, uh, I didn't get to ever spend real time with him. I've been backstage with him, but, you know, didn't have a conversation. J.D. and I were good friends. Really? uh, Yes. He was uh, just a super nice guy. Uh, He had a wit about him that some people didn't understand. Really? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes he rubbed the fur a little the wrong way, but... uh, he always meant it in the right way, and he loved to have fun. He could make something funny out of just about anything. 
And, uh, yeah, he was, of all the guys that have gone on now, I, I guess I'd have to say I probably miss the association with him more than most because he was such a, just a nice guy to be around. Uh, you'll really, see, you'll see him again. We all will. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh yeah. It'll happen. You know, That's it's true. funny that JD, you know, the way you guys sing and, and Elvis would make that a part of his show, you know, where he would yes. throw the focus on JD. Yes, he did. You know, he did. I, another guy, I got to ask you, but I'm a huge Dukes of Hazard fan, and and you you worked with Mel Tillis, who was who who did an episode of Dukes of Hazard as a guest star. Yes, yes. What was old Mel, Mel like? <laughs> another another fun guy. I really enjoyed working with him. He uh, he liked to tease me and compare me to uh, some bass singer that maybe considered. You know, not too good, that kind of thing. <laughs> and one of the dates we were doing with Mel, uh, we were in a break and went to a building. They had snacks and stuff for all the entertainers in. And he sent one of his band members in to get me. He said, so the band member comes in and said, Gerald, uh, Mel wants to see you. And uh, I went out to see what he wanted. Well, what it was. He started in with his stuttering thing, and and he told me he said, "Well, he said, I, Julie said, I think you're probably the, the about the best singer I ever knew, next to so and so." And he named a guy that couldn't hardly say. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was he was that kind of guy. That's hilarious. Yeah, uh, no, uh, you were around Minnie Pearl and Grandpa Jones. There's some hee haw uh, alumni there, uh, right? She wore the hat with the the price tag on it, if I remember. Yes, yes. She was a a very smart lady. Uh, Didn't get to spend uh, one-on-one time with her. Did dates where she was appearing. Uh, She, you know, she had a degree in psychology and uh, was very, very smart lady. And I had a lot of respect for her being able to do the uh, type thing she did she yeah. did it well she was really and, something uh, yeah grandpa jones now he rode uh, later years when we were traveling in the buses he rode the bus with us during the time i was seeing some of the plainsman quartet and uh yeah he was he had some really funny stories about his family and he loved to tell them and then that thing he used to do on the show about what's for supper grandma right and so he would he had us all set up to holler up from the audience and, hey, what's for supper, Grandpa? And then he'd do his spiel, you know, about what he was going to do for supper. And uh, so <laughs> things like that with him was, was very entertaining. You know, you just have priceless memories. Yes, yes. I wanted to ask you, you've got all these records out and you've done all this stuff. How long would you and the boys spend recording one album? Usually, we would go into the studio. Most of it was, was done in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, with our producer, we'd go in for about two days, and we would work on arrangements before we ever got to the studio. Then we'd go into the studio, and we would rough sing through each of the songs so the band then could chart our music. Because those guys were unbelievable. You could sing through a song 
and each one with whatever instrument he's holding is sitting there charting the song as we as we sang it. And uh, they would be ready for you to perform it by the time you got to the end of it. Very interesting. You're truly they, working with the best of the best when you're in there making these records, it sounds like. Oh, yes. No doubt about it. And uh, then you would spend, you do a session usually of three hours, four at the max, and take a break, and then go back in for the second session. And uh, usually, not more than two days of sessions, we would finish an album of 10 to 12 songs. I got gotcha. you. And, and you would finish 12 and use 12, or would you finish more and, and pare it down to 12? Actually, the way we did that, we would have a selection of sometimes up to 20 songs that people would send us because the travel, I mean, we covered like 45 of the 50 states plus Canada. And uh, the uh, people that wrote music, knowing that we were doing this extensive travel and selling a lot of product, they would send us what they considered to be one of their better songs that they'd written. So we had a lot of material that came to us through the mail. And then we'd go through them. We would pick and choose what we thought was probably the best of 20 or so. Then our producer would thin it on down to what he believed would work for the Melody Boys. What is your favorite gospel song to sing? Oh, my. Uh, For me, personally, it's How Great Thou Art. Isn't that great? That's it. Yeah, you know. Everybody kind of knows that one. My son has an Elvis gospel radio show, and obviously that's the number one for him, I guess, as well. Uh, Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. he's pretty good at it, and so are you. Uh, yes, he was <laughs> big, big time, big time. Uh, yes. When when you were back touring and doing all this stuff, were you crossing paths with what everyone knows as the Louisiana hayride? Hayride. Uh, only one time, uh, and I would have to refer back again to the the brief period of time that I was working with the uh, with the plains with uh, with Governor Jimmy Davis, and during that time. We did appear on that show one time. Really? That yes, uh huh. That was the only time. Everybody knows the name, the Louisiana Louisiana Hayride is kind of a oh, that's, a known that's thing. Sure. Yes, that's for sure. Does it does it surprise you how your music to this day it resonates with youngsters? I mean, you've seen several generations enjoy what you do now. Yes, I have, and uh, there's been a lot of change in this, the uh, type song. Uh, the lyric is somewhat different, expressing things in a different way. Uh, the music has also changed. There's so much less really good tight harmony being written nowadays, more solo things with backup vocals, and uh in my earlier days, it was all quartet. Each each member of a quartet would probably have a line or so of featured almost every song. But nowadays, it'll feature an entire song where each verse of the song is sung by either a lead, baritone, tenor, whatever, and get to the chorus, the rest of the vocals join in, back them up. 
So there's there's been a lot of difference in the style mm-hmm. of what's being done. But it's still being done to this day, you know. Um, yes. Well, there's a, in the last few years, there's been a, a revival of the uh, quartet concert deal that first began in Memphis in 1957 was the uh, National Quartet Convention. And uh, it's still going on and being held in Pigeon Forge each year. But there now, more than quartets, there may be a duet, there may be a trio. There are a few solo singers now that are on that show. And so to get back to the beginning of things, they have started about nine years ago, if I'm right now on the date, another show in Memphis, Tennessee, where the original one started, um, it's called the Memphis Quartet Show. And it's uh, a five-day affair, only male quartets. That's all that's there. And uh, the Melody Boys did that one four years in a row before we actually, after we retired, they wanted us there. <laughs> so they went ahead and rescheduled us. And so we did four years of it uh, as a comeback group there with the old style piano accompaniment almost totally we have a few songs we did with track but 90 percent of it was keyboard unbelievable the talent that has come out of memphis tennessee true enough i mean immeasurable really um i want to ask you about one of my favorite gospel songs growing up wonder if you ever if you i'm sure you know it or sang it victory in jesus yes in fact, we had a uh, an arrangement for the Melody Boys on that. And uh, one year at the National Quartet Convention, uh, we went out stage and opened with the song. Did you really? And, yeah. Yes, opened with the song. And, and that particular one was with a track. And something happened to the track machine, and it cut out. And, and the engineer allowed it to come back in, but it wasn't with us. It had dropped about a measure of the music. And then he realized that was not going to work. He cut it off. <laughs> we sang the entire song, the arrangement, a cappella, and didn't budge. We didn't flinch. And <laughs> during that whole week, at our booths that we had there at the convention, people were coming back. Said, man, we really enjoyed that acapella thing you guys did. <laughs> and it wasn't it was, intentional. It was not supposed to be acapella, but it turned out to that it was. Oh, if there was a recording of that, or hopefully there is, that's very cool. There could be somewhere, maybe on YouTube. I don't know. There's a lot of it on YouTube, but I'm not sure about that one. I got to ask you real quick about Dolly Parton. Okay. Did, did you did you work with her some? Uh, I I've seen Loretta Lynn listed with your name before, and I've seen yeah. Dolly. I didn't know if you worked with those folks at all. Worked quite a bit with Loretta Lynn, but with Dolly, one one show that was it. Porter Wagner and Dolly were still in the partnership deal. That's right. And and we were singing at the opening of a major uh, amusement park in Kansas City. And she was there that day. And that that's the only program we actually ever sang on with her. And uh, hmm. she's she's quite the entertainer. Oh, yeah. No Don Williams. 
Don uh, worked with him on several concerts, actually. He was a very quiet, calm guy on and off stage. Didn't talk a lot. Uh, one of the concerts, he walked out on stage. He had two guys with him, just three guys. And they were like, almost like, remind you of bluegrass people, mm-hmm. where they might tune the guitar a bit on stage. And he walks out, they turn around, they're looking at the three of them, just at each other, and made sure they were in tune good, because they knew they were before they went on stage. <laughs> part of their act. He did three songs, hadn't said a word to the audience, turns around to the audience and said, folks, are we going too fast for y'all? <laughs> well, <laughs> After that, it didn't matter what he did. They loved it. You know, <laughs> he, was, he was really a nice guy to be around. Man, he that's was. great. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Can you tell everybody maybe where your website is or where they can catch up with you? Uh, well, actually, the website of the Melody Voice, we, uh, we don't, we didn't continue it. Uh, I have a an email address that I'm always happy for anybody to contact me on. Um, it's just the Melody Boys Quartet, in other words, TMBQ base B A S S at gmail.com. All right, well, thank you so much, Gerald. We've been, been a great pleasure talking with you today and well, all the awesome experiences you've had. Well, thanks, Scott. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. Hope to have you back. Scott Romine for Guadney Unplugged. See you guys next week. <laughs>